if I'm trying to make a big change, I have to realize that the further you go out along that axis of change, the greater the resistance, like a rubber band kind of thing, mm-hmm. that there will be to that change. So you have to factor those things in. Energy required, time and attention, what you expect to get coming back at you, <laughs> you know, because of what you're trying to do with all the various stakeholders who are at play. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. All right, so happy to be with you today and joined by a very special guest that I have met recently and I'm so inspired by the work that she has done and continues to do and share with the world and in helping shape the direction that leaders are taking to make good change in the world or good trouble as Dr. Karen Judd-Smith likes to embrace. So let me introduce you quickly to Dr. Karen Judd-Smith. She is a best-selling author, mentor, and host of exceptional TV online series and connects the human elements of challenge and change across our diverse endeavors, communities, and planet within stories from today's leading change makers. Originally from Australia, but a longtime resident of the U.S., Karen holds degrees in physics, history, and philosophy of science, and theology. She is the author of three books, Change It Up, Making Your NGO's Advocacy Powerful, and United Nations Unlocked, which cover key elements of personal level and organizational and global level change leadership. Now, stepping away from almost 20 years in the global policy and advocacy work in crime prevention and criminal justice, she's focusing on the pivotal social and tech entrepreneurial communities to 10x their leadership capacities. Karen is passionate about supporting the competent, resilient change leaders that are the key to our collective future. She consults, coaches, and trains leadership teams and entrepreneurs in what she calls transilient leadership that builds the four major capacities of unstoppable, adaptive leaders. Karen now lives in the Bay Area, where she closes out her work days with preferred daily VR fitness regimen of Beat Saber, and she loves sharing meals and game time with her husband, family, and friends. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much for having me, Susie. So I'm fascinated at this diverse uh, selection of your focus of study. I love people who are just like intrigued and follow where their curiosity leads them. So how do you feel that those areas of focus weave together? Well, uh, growing up in the country on a farm, part of what you have to do is figure out how to do everything. So it's a very practical environment. And so, of course, when and I enjoyed math in school, and then that led me through, and I didn't like... <clears throat> I, I didn't like history and things like that. But anyway, so then I got into physics. Now, one of the, the key aspects of physics really is that you look at the universe it's in all of its complex diversity and you distill it down where possible to the most simple, elegant, essential formulae. So that, that process was ingrained in me from a very young age. So um, I'd look at the stars, but I'd want to understand what was there or try to imagine, whatever, all of that sort of stuff. Then you go on into university. I was, so I studied that there. And then you realize that, well, that's very nice, but there's this whole human element of life 
um, the universe is there. So I pivoted a little into the area of history and philosophy of science. And so, of course, there you start to look at the, the areas of ideas and how ideas change and how they've revolutionized our life. Ideas, you know, whole paradigms. And that, of course, was looked at through the lens of science at the time. So all of these things are going on. And of course, um, while I didn't go to church a lot, from a very early age, even though I explored Buddhism and, and it, being in Australia, explored a lot of the spiritual and new religious movements from meditation to Buddhism, Hinduism, even transcendental meditation. This is back in the day. So all of that was part of my life one way or another. And so then physics to history and philosophy, it wasn't a, such a big pivot to go to theology, in actual fact. So then I went in that direction. But of course, then life happens and you get out of even a, I got my master's there. I didn't get my doctoral, I didn't do my doctoral program until a number of years later on peace and justice. Uh, and then I did work a lot in the interreligious arenas and mostly at the international levels. As I came over to America, I then got involved around the United Nations. So that's kind of a long journey from the middle of nowhere on a farm uh, to where I would look up at the sky and see a little plane flying over. And my best friends were kind of the willow tree, the kangaroo, the dog, and the chickens, to where I was walking down Fifth Avenue, going into the UN buildings and beginning to deal with international level issues. So it was quite a journey. There was a lot of stuff in between. But for me, there, was, there were these threads that connected all of that at least. So that's, that was that. And I say that my native desire to always look and find the most quintessential, simple elements in anything, that, that is still there. I learned that in my, in my science training and it's still with me today, which is where the kind of thinking and the kind of distillation process that allowed me to come up with the transilience framework that I included in my book, United Nations Unlocked, and uh, that enhances that understanding of where we are in our global society, because it has dimensions, kind of four main dimensions, um, to who we are and therefore the attention we need to pay as leaders and as leaders of institutions. And the institutions can be very small or they can be very large. But as human beings, we are social creatures, so we always make these little institutions, little groups, little organizational segments. And sometimes they're very systematic, sometimes they're not. They could be corporations, they could be governments, they, they could be the local book club, whatever it is. We're social beings. And so we function in these clusters. And understanding the dimensions of our life, even active in whatever entity that we're in, because we're always moving forward, always endeavoring. We're always changing anyway. But then part of what change leaders are, and which is my focus, as you mentioned, um, then we're endeavoring to make intentional change. And often we're driven by our passions, but then we have to also understand, well, what are the, what are the pieces that we're dealing with? Am I forgetting something? Am I paying attention to all elements? Or am I overlooking something that perhaps is right in front of my face, but I'm just not seeing it? 
Yes, I think that I think that really speaks to the power of perspective. First of all, starting out well, and and as you talk about these, the way that we tend to organize ourselves into groups and models of society, but to grow up starting out more in isolation, where you have mm-hmm. this room to form your own ideas and kind of work perhaps outside or without the restriction of being within tighter, more restrictive communities, and then continue along your journey of curiosity and examination of how these things come together and move apart and, and, and form and shape our society, our history right. is shaped by the progression of a religion. And so I love that, that that curiosity has kind of been the thread that continued through your whole process. Well, I, and I'm still insatiably curious. Uh, I can't help myself. And sometimes I undo myself because of my curiosity. I don't keep my focus on, on the things right in front of me because I go, but, but, but what about? <laughs> Which is worth exploring in my opinion. But yes, my to-do list never gets shorter. So I can relate to the, the double-edged sword <laughs> of being led by curiosity. And so then, um, did you expect to go into the United Nations like that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the very first time, well, ending up in New York, and, you know, there's quite a journey there all over the world and ended up in New York. But I did go one time to the UN, and I still remember very, very clearly, it was evening to hear a speech one night. And I remember exploring, as I do, and there are a number of big what are called conference rooms in the UN. And so conference room one, two, three, and four, uh, as well as the main general assembly hall. The main meeting I was going to was in conference room two. So I walked around and I was just curious about where everything was. And I peered into one of the other conference rooms. So just as I opened the door, you know, there's always often a negative or a positive pressure in a room. And there was this little puff of air. And it was kind of almost like the puff of politics blew out onto me. And my gut reaction was, oh, God, don't ever make me work here. Well, about two years later, um, I was working with an international women's organization that was applying for its economic and social council status. And I was coming into it, I was asked to be the secretary general of this, uh, of this organization. And so then part of what I did was help with the outreach and the advocacy for that organization to be accepted as a NGO, non-governmental organization with general consultative status. Um, I was representing it and going and speaking to the diplomats, et cetera, et cetera. So lo and behold, be careful of what you say you will never do. That's right. That's a big word. It's (laughs) a big word. But that explains. So I remember in one of our first conversations, you were talking about your your mission to help NGOs know how to navigate the playing field, if you will, of working within the UN or getting their support. So that's where that all began. You actually began through the route of NGOs. And still, and I, you know, I still work with NGOs and with um, those working in the nonprofit realms, but I also have have shifted and include in my arenas, those who are working, who have a a strong sense of mission, social, you know, social change mission. So it's not just the nonprofit realms, but the UN is such a complex beast. Even those who work there for years don't know all about the UN everywhere. They're always focused in their little areas, sometimes way too siloed and all kinds of issues there. But uh, I still remember the first days that I would go into the UN other than having conversations with diplomats, which was fairly simple because we were mostly talking about what I knew. 
at that time initially, but then I would go into the meetings and I would be sitting in there and I'd be listening to the conversations. You know, people would be speaking about the different topics, about development or about women's issues or about, you know, peace and security or whatever the topic was at the time. And I'm sitting there listening, thinking, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I speak English. I'm listening to English. What on earth are they saying? <laughs> it is just a, you know, it, it has its own language. Each word in that context almost has a whole world around it based on when you're speaking to 193 countries and not just one America, when you're speaking about uh, global level issues and considerations at that level, not at the national or the local community level, you begin to realize you, you've got, you have to change your perspective again about what you're listening to, even about the topics that you're speaking about. So it, it's not a simple process for a passion-driven individual who is attending to the, the desperate needs in many cases of people around the world, be they internally displaced, be they dealing with human trafficking or just plain cyber security, whatever it might be. And, and then they're, they're driven by their passion. They go into that level of engagement and seek to make a difference, want to help uplift our, our global awareness and to bring their solutions to the attention of that community. It's a very complex process. And because I know the process I went through and it took, in fact, it took years. There are way, quicker ways of doing it and I can help people even kind of sift and sort pretty quickly what it is that they really want to do rather than test out all the different ways of trying to do it. But it's still a, a whole area, a new area that people wanting to make an impact at the global level do need to pay attention. It's, you know, have to take the time to learn a little bit of the language and the dynamics at that level of engagement. Yes, and I can imagine that that investment, that foresight pays off in spades because mm -hmm. once you finally get the attention of the people that you want to be in conversation mm -hmm. with, you don't want to be going back and revising in order to, no. to better fit their yeah. own goals and objectives. So I think that's tremendous. And I love that, that you're helping these because that's the spark. You know, that's the change that mm -hmm. we want to foster. And they come, I can imagine, with so much hope and optimism, you know, right. and you don't want them to lose that momentum. So all the better prepared they can be right. and know what's coming around the corner. Absolutely. Um, because you have to be strategic there. In any organization, no matter how big it is, you still have to be very strategic in your, in your endeavors. And so it often comes back to clarifying, okay, well, this is what I do well. This is what I think is good for the world, but then you have to understand, well, what is the world already doing? And then what happens when somebody with your plans and initiatives comes to it? What kind of journey do you have to take them through to understand the value of what you've got? Uh, so there are so many dimensions to it, but it's, it's both exciting and very boring at the same time. But, uh, Part of the value of it, it's a little bit like taking a journey to the top of the mountain. You make that effort, you get to the top of the mountain, then you have that mountaintop perspective. Now, you don't live on the top of the mountain all your life. Most people don't. A few people do, but the majority don't. You, you can't. It's not made for living. But having seen from there, 
and you come back down the mountain, you have that still, you've got that vision, that perspective, that understanding, you bring that with you into whatever it is that you do. Might confuse the issue sometimes, but having that perspective does change the way you look at things at the domestic level, at the community level. Um, and then you always know that the, there are these other elements going on, or you even just simply think, well, gosh, I'm having a tough day. But oh my God, I was just talking to this young woman who is helping women and children with basic education in the world's largest floating slum. I was just talking to her yesterday. So it's like my situation, uh, a little perspective here. Okay, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. And, and it is again, that, that power of perspective, we need to maintain it and it, it always comes back in. So, so powerfully to kind of put us in, in relation to, we are a global society these days. Increasingly. I mean, Certainly. we always have been, but, <laughs> but, but, but now it's in our face. Now we can see it. I, you know, I see you, you see me right now and we're not in the same room. And yeah. that capacity has changed the way we engage and the way we think about, and therefore the way we even act on a day-to-day basis. And that'll play out differently in the policies that are made and the decisions that are made and in our choices that are made. So it's constantly impacting all of us to larger and smaller degrees, to some that are where we're fully aware and others that we're just completely unaware of. Yeah, and I think it, that plays such a fundamental role in how our younger generations who have just grown up with this as a given. I mean, we've, they've been connected by the digital age from the beginning of their awareness. Whereas, you know, we non-digital natives, we've, we've learned how to use these tools, but this is just the world that they've been born into. The world is so much smaller, I think, for them. And so I love to see the mission that they seem so passionate about to solve issues, you know, that they see that need addressing. And so is that kind of where your program, your Transilience program kind of comes from? What I'm focusing on or the people that I'm focusing on at the moment are the younger, what I, I want to reach and, and, and in, a, in a way just allow the benefits of what I know to be passed on to some extent to those who are younger because they are absolutely the future. And I think we need one another. I need to understand their perspective. And I think it's very valuable when they also get some idea of what our perspectives are. Um, And that intergenerational component is very essential for all of us all the time, because one of the things that it is not going to turn around and go backward is, and that is Mr. Time or Mrs. Time or whomever time is, because life moves forward, but you don't really believe that you're going to be the one with the gray hair. It's just the way it is. And I guess my inner kid is still very strong. I still love to play. And as you, you noted before, my, my VR sports and stuff like that, but especially those who are in the spheres of um, technology that is just leveraging change massively uh, need to have that, that perspective of the scope of the change that is going on. And I would like them to be thinking about also getting mountaintop perspective so that they have that as they do their very, very, they're going to be doing that, you know, creative, innovative work. And the tide of technology is not going to get turned around. It's not going to roll back. 
So the question is, is how is it going to go forward? And are there ways that that mountaintop experience, that larger global perspective, and not just, you know, the global on the phone perspective of things might change the way they actually do things and the decisions they make and even the programs that they they develop you know the apps they make the 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 types of rules and algorithms they put into place and you know there are just so many ways in which that kind of thinking can impact at a very practical level uh, our our day-to-day lives and that having that global perspective that longer-term perspectives is critical. Time is a key element of everything. And that's part of my Transilience framework, is paying attention to the time because you've got windows of opportunity, time and timing is important. Um, but, but beyond that also, even you know, for our own health and our life and our lives, uh, where everything has become so push-button and immediate, having the capacity to sit still and to be quiet and to get bored or even to have that experience of boredom. Even in our nervous system, we've got synaptic spaces. There's space. And it's essential to our, our health and the functioning of our whole system. And so in our days, you know, creating space in our lives, in our relationships, creating space for others to grow and to develop and become not just stuck in the box that we put them in because I've decided who you are and whether you are or not, you know, you're in my little box and there's no room for you to move. You know, there's space that is important and space in that sense requires a little bit of time because that's how we travel through our lives and we create that, that space. We're, we're body-based creatures. And so it takes us time to go from here to there. Space is intimately linked with time. And so that's a piece that we have to pay attention to and be aware of, even for our our own health. We need to sleep at night. We need to regenerate. You know, we need to breathe in and out. I mean, at every level. And we need that in our relationships. We need that in our organizations. We need that, those elements to have a place as well um, in, in all that we do. Yeah, I think that's so important to keep in our perspective because in this instant gratification world that we've, you know, just managed to create for ourselves, we've lost that ability to wait, to expect results, to understand that there's effort and then there's reward. Right. It's not just push the button and get what you've ordered up every time. And, and it's not just the kids who respond that way. I am now that way. And so I have to pay attention to my own annoyance when things take so long. It's the old adage, you know, how many fingers are you pointing at somebody else and three are pointing back at you. Um, so I'm not preaching to any, any, anybody out, out there as how do I know these things? I've observed them in me. <laughs> yes, and those are the lessons that are so important to share. And that's why I love, you know, the way that you're putting this together and making it available because we, we get so much benefit from the perspectives and the life lessons from other people. Right. You know, we don't need to start over and discard history. We need to integrate what we have so we can keep on making the progress that we're capable of. And, you know, we always live with this strange combination of needing to learn the lessons ourselves <laughs> and learning to stand on the shoulders of others. But I think that's, that plays out a lot. I mean, at some level, as individuals, 
you know, we start as babies. We don't, we're not born CEOs or leaders or anything else, you know, maybe leading our, their own life as a, as a babe. So yes, we have to go, each human has to go through this life journey of learning. But when we talk about whether it be our families, our organizations, our institutions, that's where then the culture of those organizations carries with it and can bring with it the legacy of what has been learned before. And it's especially through our organizations that we can both encapsulate the best of what has been learned and bring that with us, you know, into the future. So the organizational component of everything is, is something to pay attention. So, so even right there, you've got to say, okay, as individuals, we need time to learn everything. We weren't born with any knowledge of nothing. <laughs> so we do have to learn our way. And especially our social institutions, our organizations, uh, one, one piece of attention that I think leaders, it's good for them to, to consider is their culture and therefore what, what is optimal for that culture and what can they allow people the shoulders to stand on in their organization. Yeah, so important. It really has to resonate and speak to and support the culture from which it's, it's right. coming. What are some other aspects of the um, transilience that you share? The main, the main other pieces really are going back and recognizing that there are kind of three main dimensions in addition to time. And that is we're, we're always looking for difference. So change is always happening, but sometimes we want to make massive change. Sometimes we just want to make a little bit of change. Sometimes we just want to sustain. And then sometimes there's the kind of the, the destructive, you know, the deconstruction component to it. Sometimes that's needed. It's not neither. It's not necessarily negative, but there's this, this continuum of kinds of change. And even to sustain the status quo takes energy. So it's just a matter of saying, okay, we're on that continuum of change. And if I'm trying to make a big change, I have to realize that the further you go out along that axis of change, the greater the resistance, like a rubber band kind of thing, mm -hmm. that there will be to that change. So you have to factor those things in. Energy required, time and attention, um, what you expect to get coming back at you, <laughs> you know, because of what you're trying to do with all the various stakeholders who are at play. So there's that. There's the, the other dimension is just more understanding that, that we are. We're at the individual level. Then there's the small community, whether it be a, a family or, you know, a small group or the school or the local community or the local government or the state government. And then there's the nation and then there's the world and then you could say there's the planet and then there's the solar system you know anyway so but understanding that when you target your efforts when your objectives where are your objectives so that you have to pay attention to the organizational structures and at those various levels and to know that you can't just leap there you, you know efforts need to be made and the other one then is is kind of the more interesting one from the human side or the human element that i call it um, what I call the drivers, and that's understanding who we are as, as humans. And so I guess the way that I use to articulate that is, is by, I, I call them L1, L2, L3, just for simplicity, and that's understanding that we have at our, at our fundamental nature, we have our, our survival system, our body, our body and, and the, our body is our base for 
everything that we do. It's and it's tied up with our limbic, with our amygdala and every you know our fight and flight and all of those things and the basic ways our bodies function to keep us alive. Then there's this limbic system that we have, the L2, which is really about our social part. It's the emotional realms. And a lot of that, you know, it's kind of a social driver, so to speak. We don't grow up and think, oh, I want to be a social person. We tend to just grow up saying, oh, I want to relate to this person. You know, it's not a learned thing. It's, it's kind of built into who we are. And that interrelatedness and our emotional systems in the limbic system, which are, again, pre-rational, we don't think about them, we don't think our emotions, they're a response that happens because of the context and and triggers and this and that and the other thing, but beyond going into that. So then you've got that limbic system and the emotions that, that drive us, that marketers know very well. We make decisions at the emotional level, we rationalize it later on. And then there is that L3 level or the logical level, the neocortical level of our functioning through which we think and, and talk and that's our language center. That's, that's how we communicate with one another at that level. I mean, we communicate visually and see our body language and we get a lot of feedback at those levels, but we're not always thinking about the body we can learn to think about and read the body. So you've got these three levels going on, these three drivers in us as human beings. And unless we pay attention to all three, we're overlooking something. We're underutilizing aspects of us. And then also, you know, in terms of when we get to the challenges in life, whether it be you know, people dealing with trauma, loss and grief, death of a loved one, um, things that have happened to us that have created difficult, bad memories, or when we're dealing with depression or whatever, you know, we can't just think our way out of things. We have to address all of these aspects of ourselves. And so our organizations, our education, our health system, whatever it might be, needs to pay attention to all of these different levels. Some of them, which are, as, as mentioned, they're they are pre-rational and we, and by nature, they're more difficult, they're messier to work with, or at least messy for the logical mind. Yeah. Yes. And we can't wish them away. We can't say, oh, I've evolved past this point and I'm no, completely no. rational in my actions. No, we are reflexive beings and we have to continue to train ourselves to to find the power of the perspective to change our reaction to things because fundamentally we just want to snap back. Yep. We tend to run into the same struggles when we come from that response. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's so insightful to look at how that influences the way organizations work. You mentioned healthcare and you know, we we try to operate at certain levels. I mean other organizations, I don't know why I picked on that. Maybe a pet peeve, but neither here nor there. <laughs> we we do try to pretend that all we need to solve is this. And if we just address this aspect because it's easier or it's definable, this is all we need to solve the system. Unfortunately, there's so many layers that have to be examined in all of these issues. So it may be where the difficulty comes from when people operate in this black or white world, this yes or no, you know, there's two options only. And there's layers that have to be explored and the way that things interplay in order to really get to the root of things. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, the, the health area, you know, I think that's why we see a lot, you know, in the world, 
where you, we tend to see there's oriental medicine or there's new and emerging medicines or there's traditional me medicine or there are special words, allopathic and whatever, the different words that there are, but there's a, a slightly different focus. When you look at it through that, that framework of, of the different drivers or of who we are as human beings, um, and we didn't get into the concept there of, of spirit and what that really means, and, and I'm not going to go there right now. Um, and that's another, a, a whole other discussion. Um, but even just understanding that there are these different ways of looking at who we are, you know, are we dealing with, you know, very much, okay, uh, you know, I've broken my arm. This is a very mechanical thing. This is highly, you know, bodily functional or are we dealing with emotions? And what do we mean by dealing with emotions? Can, you know, can a drug, yes, impact it? Yes, but is it dealing with the whole thing? I, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, you know, because by the time, even though it's a little bit like computer, computers are at fundamental levels, they're on-off switches. But looking at the screen, it's hardly an on-off switch. I mean, there's color, there's movement. It's, it's, you know, because you build these layers and it becomes more and more complex. And it's, that's part of what kind of life is. And so by the time you get to the emotional lives of human beings, it, it's not just a matter of, you know, can a, 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 you know, a, a physical uh, impact even by a drug is not everything about resolving the human element of, of what it is of the problem. So, yeah, I think there's, we can take things to the extreme degree and just say, Hey, it's so complicated. We can't do anything. But the interesting thing is as we look and look and look and look, there are little things that can be done that, that somehow speak to all of those things, just like, somehow out of this chaos of the universe we are speaking and basically understanding one another. Maybe we, under we understand the same words differently, but there's some level of connection and communication. But we are able to, as human beings, uh, tease out of this extremely complicated world ways to connect in very simple ways. Um, and so in our lives too, there are simple things that we can do um, that do make a difference. And searching and finding those more quintessential or more essential components that make the biggest different, you know, difference um, is, I, I think, what, what you're probably searching for, what most of us are searching, what science searches for, what doctors are searching for, you know, in, in all of these things. Um, and we'll get further along that journey with every day. We'll keep following our curiosity and seeing where it leads. Yeah. But that's, that's, a beautiful, that's a beautiful analogy. And I could see as you were describing that how in your path you've come from philosophy and religion to cybersecurity. <laughs> in your description there, it was, it was so elegant. Like, oh, all the layers and the interplay and all of that. Like there's just so much at work and it's such a fascinating puzzle when you give yourself the opportunity to look at it through yeah. the macro lens, through the yeah. micro lens, how do the layers come together? It's, yeah. it's quite yeah, a dance. I mean, there, there, is, it, there is, I mean, sometimes people ask me, so, so what is it you do? I go, 
um, <laughs> today, yesterday, <laughs> which one of my lives? Because um, they are really diverse. And I've had, a, I, I've been an extremely lucky person in my life. It hasn't always been easy, absolutely. Uh, but I've had a, a remarkable, uh, you know, broad set of experiences. Uh, but in the end, you know, I'm a very simple human being. I like to be happy. Yes, yes. And I think that, ooh, there's another conversation. We could just like book a couple of episodes. <laughs> I think that people tend to look for an easy solution. I just want to be happy. And they're not willing to look at, again, there's layers and there's pieces that come into this. And it's not always an easy solution. Sometimes you have to put a little bit of effort into being happy. You have to cultivate this emotion. This isn't what we were wired to do. We were yeah. wired to save ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have the, the skill, we have the capacity. Neuroplasticity yes. is fascinating. Positive psychology is like, yeah, <gasps> right, right. So juicy, you know? So, so that's like where we can keep on moving into. And the more we understand, the more we can, we've just found more limits we can push, right? In terms of bringing in more happiness and play and creativity. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, many, some of my friends know that oh, she's always going to, she always wants to have fun. She always wants to have fun. And fun for me doesn't always mean not hard work. I mean, hard work is sometimes the most fun <laughs> because it's fulfilling and it's meaningful. So I guess I've distilled it down to one, you know, a three letter word that sounds like it's pretty thin, but for me, fun is, is, needs to be meaningful and pleasing and satisfying and, and all of those things. But I really do like to have fun and laugh. And, and, but a lot of that is in moving, moving your body. A lot of that is just, you know, is allowing, you know, because when, you, when, you, when you're the happiest, the natural thing to do is to get up and it's kind of get up and dance. Uh, you know, the, it's, a, it's a bodily thing. So I, I like to remember to remind people our body is our base. It's wonderful. Our bodies are amazing. Amazing. Yes. Yes. Highly improbable and miraculous beings. Yeah. And I guess I, I really, that really was driven home when I first became, went through the process of becoming a mom. Um, and because I knew that if it was up to this part of me, that baby would not have come into the world. There's <laughs> no way it would have happened. So, but somehow, you know, all the systems and the, all of the stuff that is needed to make, you know, to allow, to prepare for, and then to go through, and then to birth, and, and then live with them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love my kids deeply, but, <laughs> but no, it's, um, that process of, of, of creating a new life was just absolutely stunningly miraculous. Um, that's when I, I, my hat's off to my body. I mean, it's almost like I've got, there's this part of me here and the, the body part. My, my hat was off to, you know, <laughs> to my body. I mean, I'm just amazing. Our bodies are amazing. Yeah, what a beautiful example of just how, you know, if, if we operate within our own perceived limits, we'll never have any idea of what we can accomplish. 
Absolutely. We really do have to open mm-hmm. up and let the experiences come through us and be able yeah. to respond and support and facilitate and let the magic happen. Yeah. Sometimes it, it is. It's allowing the magic to happen. Yep. Absolutely. Tremendous. Um, we've covered some ground in our conversation. Is there anything else? Um, oh, no, I've had a tremendous time. Is there anything else you'd like to share just in terms of um, maybe how, how you restore yourself at, at the end of doing all that you do, all of these different you know, things that you're called to share? How do you come back oh, to I, An important part of it these days, especially since my, my second son introduced me to VR a number of years ago, virtual reality gaming, and then got me and my husband a headset for Christmas a couple of years ago. I played VR, but just that movement and energy is really important. Um, but each night also, it's, it's going back over the day and re- you know remembering those key points of gratitude for the day, just making that as a discipline in the mornings in making plans for what I will do. But I know that one of the questions that you like to bring in your podcast, I think it was, you know, what is some kind of tool that you have for relieving stress? And I I just wanted to bring this one that plays into the whole concept that our, our limbic system doesn't function through language as much as it does through images, that it's kind of language. And many times a lot of our stress and our strain is holed up in our limbic system, in, in the emotional realms. So one way to deal with stress, and usually stress is associated with another person, right? Usually. And a way of dealing with that is to just simply imagine that person or a situation, picture it, and then shrink it way down till it's tiny, 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 tiny. And even as the shrinking, as you're imagining that that person shrink down to a tiny, tiny little, even if their voice goes commensurately up into the air, to the point where poof, they disappear. Just what it takes, two or three seconds, and then to breathe in and breathe out. Allow, you know, just put it in perspective. Put your stress in perspective. Make it small. You have the power to do that. It's very simple. But it's just one little tip. It's not going to solve every, every issue in life. But sometimes there are those moments you just need to get a grip on something. You just need to get it out of the way so you can get on to the next thing that is, is important for you to do. And you know you, do, you shouldn't be walking into the next meeting like this. So that's just a little exercise that you can make yourself sometime. Enjoy. I love that. I think that's terrific. Putting stress in perspective way far away. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. Something that you can flick flick away. Because that's, you know, that's, it's part of, a lot of it is how we feel about even the stress. If we can just reduce it in size, just make it get smaller. We can. Exactly. Exactly. It is all in our mindset and in our approach. The more empowered we are to feel like we have control over the way stress affects us. And part of that having control is doing something. (laughs) Even if it's just a couple of seconds, uh, you know, utilizing images. Yes, yes. And your gratitude practice is one that from so many different sources, it comes back time and time again. And so I think people tend to think, oh, what can a little bit of gratitude practice do? It's really supporting that neuroplasticity. It's training your brain to look for the things that we're grateful for. Feel that. 
Right. And I think part of it, what it is, is that as you feel the gratitude, you take the time to feel the gratitude. That's, that's actually something you do in your body again, or it, it impacts your body. So as you take the time, it's a discipline. Okay, this is the time. You think the thoughts, write them down or whatever it is. And you spend that moment feeling the gratitude that has a calming effect on your body as well. So it, ha it has real hormonal chemical consequences. And that's good. Exactly. And back to your and back to the importance of time, the relevance of time and space and letting yeah, those emotions. Giving and, and, and just allocating that time for to do that, to pay it that kind of attention. And if we don't have time to do even that, what are we making time for? What are we allocating our time for in our day? And time is something we can never get back. It's the currency of our lives, more important than the dollars and cents, because we can't trade dollars and cents for time. So what we do with that day, how we allocate that time, and do we have enough even just for that kind of focus and attention? And um, because it's just another way to... Take a breath. And we need to breathe. It's healthy for us. It's helpful. It makes us happy. <laughs> <laughs> and we all want more of that. And we all want more of that. <laughs> all that in. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so very much. I appreciate your joining me to share this episode. And I look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thank you, Susie. It's been, it's been fun. Meaningful and enjoyable fun. <laughs> Stay well. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining.